Welcome to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser. And this is Steph Smith. Today, we will be talking about what it means to be completely financially free. I'm going to kick this thing off with a story recently where a friend of mine, you maybe know him, Sam Parr, he runs The Hustle. He ran this podcast with a guy named Balaji and they asked him, hey, Balaji, how much money do you have? And he kind of skirted the question by saying, I'm post-economic. And a lot of people have found this term funny. I know, Cal, you've been using it a little bit as a joke since you quit your job recently. But it is this interesting term where he, I think, probably has hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars. And basically what he's saying is, money no longer impacts my decisions. I'm post-economic. And I just found this question really interesting. I think there's many other ways you can phrase it. What's your fuck you money number? When do you feel like you can make decisions on your own behalf and money doesn't influence those decisions? Have you thought about that? that, Callan? Do you have a number? There's a lot to unpack there, stuff. So I think with money in particular, I grew up very low income and I've always had an interesting relationship with money. I think you talked about the term financial freedom. And one way I've always thought about money and financial freedom is that money is just a tool to be able to do the things that you want in life. And so the most important thing you can do is you can define the things that you want to do and then figure out how much money do you need to do that. And I think a lot of us get into lifestyles or ways of being that cost a lot more than what would actually drive your core happiness or allow you to use money as a tool for financial freedom. And that's actually a massive mistake. So the thing that I always start with is, okay, what do I want to do and how much does that cost? And just to be very transparent and tactical here, I spend somewhere between $35,000 and $40,000 per year. There's a rule called the 4% rule. And the way that works is if I was to invest all of my money in the S&P 500 forever, I could expect a 6 to 7% return. So I could actually withdraw 4% of that money every year as long as it was less than or equal to the amount that I spend each year. So if you say, hey, what's your number? Technically, I could retire on something like $2 million if I invested all of it in S&P 500 and there weren't any crazy events that happened outside of that, just based on my current spend. So that's one way to think about it when I actually have friends who I think will make tens of millions to hundreds of millions to potentially billions of dollars at some point in their life. I've never been that interested in that because I think I can live happily on much less than that, at least in my current rate. Yeah, it's really interesting when you actually do that math because I've always thought that the number would have been higher. But when you do the math and you're like, oh, I only spend this much, kids come into play and other things in the future, but it really isn't as much as you think. So I was actually thinking, what is the absolute crazy max of what I would spend? And I was like, there's no way I would spend more than $50,000 a month. That just sounds insane. And I was like, I wonder what's $50,000 a month for the next 50 years? Like how much money is that? Because that seems like the absolute peak of what I would ever need in my entire life, regardless of circumstance. Guess how much it is? I don't know, but probably a lot. So in my head, I was like, it's probably like a billion or something. It's $30 million, which is a lot of money. Let's say that to start. But I was kind of like, really? $30 million means you can spend $50,000 every single month? Like you buy a nice car every single month? That was shocking to me. And then of course, for 50 years. Oh, wow. Yes. So part of me was like, wow, my original number was probably in the tens of millions. And then I was like, I absolutely don't need tens of millions to live. Another part of that is just the question of, do you even need to hit that number? Because I personally project that I'll continue working even if I hit a certain number because I just like creating things. And I think there is almost an earlier financial freedom metric where it's not so much that you want to stop working. It's more so that you have control over what you want to work on. You're able to say no to things that you just don't want to spend your time on. 
I think that's one of the big ways that I personally define financial freedom. I'd never have liked working for people who I don't respect or on projects that really don't motivate me, partially because I really struggle to do that. So I've always been terrible in the corporate hierarchy because you do as you're told and you put your time in and you get rewards out of that. But for whatever reason, that just doesn't align with my psychology. So I've struggled in that environment. And so that probably influences my definition of financial freedom, which looks something like the ability to do what I want for whoever I want, when I want. That certainly almost means that I'm working. I think it's ridiculous to just want to sip margaritas on the beach for the rest of your life. Go do that for two weeks and you realize that's just a silly goal. It's both accessible and a silly goal for a lot of people because that's not what drives your happiness. But this degree of freedom and the ability to say no to things, which is something we've talked about on a prior episode, I've recently hit a point where I can sometimes say no to projects that may generate money for me because I have enough in the bank to create that cushion. And again, I haven't hit my number and And I don't think you've hit your number either. So we're still earlier in our journey. But it may be interesting to step back for a second and say, there are really different levels here. I think there's you're in debt and you're trying to get out of debt. So that should be your first goal. But then once you're out of debt, you can move forward and invest some money. And at that point, maybe your goal changes to something else. Like I want to save 10% of my income every year and invest that in S&P 500. And then eventually maybe you get to the point where you hit your number and you can retire per se on your dividends for your investments or your returns or however you're generating them. And that gives you more freedom to actually do the things that you want. But there are really different discrete levels here. The biggest unlock for me was When I got my first job out of college, I hit a point where I could afford a Starbucks latte without really having to think about it. And that was just like, wow, okay, I can start thinking about things like, how do I find fulfillment out of my job? That was just a weird unlock for me that I don't think I've read in any books. Yeah, I I actually tweeted about this question, what's your fuck you money number? And someone was like, as long as I can buy guac whenever I want, or as long as it can add guac whenever I want. And I kind of agreed. There were certain things that when you're a little bit less wealthy, you make certain decisions. If you're rich, maybe you've never experienced this, but like choosing a different menu item, even though you don't want it or not getting the ice cream, even if you want it because it's $5. And again, we're very lucky to perhaps be past the level of wealth. Some of these levels, like being able to afford avocado all the time, but those are some of the most, I think, important levels of wealth where again, finances aren't trickling into your everyday where you're making some of these micro decisions and you're just able to spend on the things that truly make you happy. Yeah. One of the areas there that I think is really important where I see a lot of people making mistakes is I think there's a couple of things that you can consciously do to make sure that your number doesn't get so high that you never reach it or that you're always chasing some goal. One is just super obvious, but to reduce your burn, reduce your expenses. Like I mentioned, I spend thirty-five dollars to $40,000 per year. That may not be accurate. It could be less or more on a given year. And that could seem like a lot or very little to certain people. But what I will say is I could spend more than that and be totally fine and actually not be in debt but I've kept it at that level because that's my happiness level of spend. I'm doing most of the things I want. I'm not spending egregiously. I live in an okay place, but I'm also not going out and buying hundreds of dollars in wine every week or just doing things that lead to lifestyle creep that then lead to expense creep. Because one of the hardest things I personally think is every time I've gotten used to having nicer things, it's extremely hard to revert back. A good example for me is I really like Lululemon shirts. They're like 70 or $80 per t-shirt. Before that, I like Target V-necks, which were seven to $10 per t-shirt. Okay. So my cost per t-shirt just 10X. And I think you can 10X across everything. You can 10X across the ashtray that you buy for your house if you 
buy an ashtray or you can 10x across whatever it is that you buy in your life. There's almost always an option that's much more expensive. And if you just repeat that over and over, your life can easily become 10x more expensive without generating any additional happiness. Then you find yourself competing with the Joneses and not actually being any incrementally happier, but being stuck in certain situations. That's something I'm always trying to avoid. One of the things I've noticed, so I've had, I guess, the luxury of being around a couple people this weekend that are relatively wealthy. One of them sold their company recently. Others are the owners of successful companies. And it's interesting to see how their lifestyle has creeped. Something that happened today was we were eating in a burger joint and outside this like super nice car. I don't know how expensive it is, but I think one of my friends said it was probably like three, 400K. And I was like, wow, that's so expensive. And he was like, Steph, just remember, the only thing that you have learned about this person is that they have at least $2,000 a month to spend on renting that car. <laughs> it's not saying that's what they did, but when you see these things that other people have and how, again, people, their lifestyles can creep up and they start buying things, it doesn't necessarily mean that they actually have that wealth. One of the things I've seen is especially in the last week or so, is that I think my relationship with money, because I didn't grow up very wealthy, I'm very averse to getting any sort of debt and spending more than I earn. But a lot of people don't live that way. A lot of people do choose to spend everything that they have. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I do think that financial freedom is not an amount of money, but again, a relationship with money where you feel confident in what you have available to you and the runway that it can give you in the future. Yeah, I'm very much like you where I'm just not comfortable with that. But something to keep in mind is people can buy a million dollar house and depending on the state you're in, you could put 10% down. So that's $100,000. Maybe you could even borrow that from people. And then you have a mortgage that you have to pay off and you could spend all of your disposable income on that and have a pretty badass house, probably more than I would ever buy for a house at this point. And you may not actually be that wealthy, at least in the way that I define it, which is that freedom to really do what you want with your life. And I guess we talked about values in a recent episode and what they mean. I happen to value the freedom as it relates to the ability to do what I want when I want. And a big part of that is money, which means I reduce my burn. I don't go out and buy tequila shots every night for people just so they like me. I don't do these things that ultimately stop me from being able to live the life that I want. And I think it's really easy to get trapped into Again, we could call it keeping up with the Joneses or comparing yourself to others. I think one of the things that I have on the roadmap for me is many of my friends are startup founders and are very smart and I think will be extremely financially successful. And I don't know how I'm going to relate with the idea of them being hundreds of times wealthier than me and inviting me on trips that I probably shouldn't go on or that would be a big burden for me. That's one of the things you just have to manage. I think the starting place though is figuring out what is your relationship with money and what do you want from it? And then doing your best to stick to that because if you let society choose for you, advertising is going to win. Everyone's going to tell you to buy more sometimes I do get a little envious. Like today, actually, I was at a house that apparently sold for $3 million. And I remember sitting at the house being like, wow, this is so cool. And I was talking to a friend. I wish I could own a house like this one day. He was like, well, actually, Steph, two years ago, you probably could. And that's partially has to do with the housing market. I think a couple of years ago, it sold for 1.2. But then he also went through those same mechanics of you only have to put 10% down and all this stuff. And I was like, huh, I guess I could own a house like this. But something that I really prioritize, sounds like you do too, is not going into debt, being maybe more frugal than we need to be, but also having that freedom, the reassurance that we're not in debt, that again, we make more than we earn and we're not spending more than we earn. So maybe that's a decision, but something that really helps me and my psychology. 
Yeah, I think you just have to ask yourself, what game am I playing and how can I use money as a tool in that game? And then the other thing that maybe I do more cautiously than I should, if you were to say, hey, what objectively should you do with your money or how should you spend it is I try to leave room for error. If I have a health scare or there's a big downturn in the markets that I'm invested in, I want to leave a little bit extra cash on the table so that I can weather that downturn and not have a psychological collapse or to have to do something that I don't want to do just because I I made decisions that weren't long-term minded or didn't consider tail risks. And that is my personal definition of wealth. And what I've come to appreciate and learn is just how different people view money. And I don't care if someone wants to make tens of millions or hundreds of millions or never even wants to think about millions and wants to live their whole life in debt. That's not really my business. My business is my relationship with money and how I choose to go about that in my own life because I have to sleep with myself at night and no one else has to deal with that. Exactly. One of the things I was thinking about, we started this podcast with this idea of post-economic, and I've been thinking about that term a lot recently. And I think that applies partially to people who are just like ungodly rich, never have to make money again if they didn't have to. But I was also thinking about how perhaps other people are post-economic, even though they don't have much money. In fact, I was thinking about, it seems like there's a problem with homeless people here in Austin, or at least that's a topic of the day that a lot of people have been talking about. And I was thinking, and I was like, aren't homeless people post-economic? I'm not necessarily endorsing or not endorsing homelessness but I'm just saying they have transcended the ladder in a way, in the way where they just aren't trying to make money and sell their time and then use that money to buy other things and ascend up this ladder. Again, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but in their own unique way, they have become post-economic. And other people who also have just decided to live with what they have and not chase more are also post-economic, even though they're not a billionaire. And so I just found that kind of interesting to think through what really does post-economic mean? It doesn't necessarily equate to just being filthy rich. So I can't speak to whether homeless people are post-economic or not. I think there's lots of things that drive homelessness, mental illness being one of them and people being in bad condition. So I don't really want to dive too deeply into that. But I think where you're right is that a lot of people, they just keep chasing more without ever thinking about what's my number or where would I be happy? And so you just always end up recalibrating and ending up on a different spectrum, comparing yourself to other people once you've probably gotten to a point that might've been your end goal before. So it's worthwhile to just step back for a weekend and say, how are things going? Or step back quarterly and figure out what is my relationship with money? Where is it going well? Where isn't it going well? What am I even working towards as it relates to this? Because so many of our decisions are driven by money, whether it's what you order at a restaurant, the job you take, the activities you do, the things you buy. If you can just get a handle on that, you're going to be literally ahead of 99% of people who are just going with the forces. And as we're both in marketing, the forces are driving you towards consumerism and buying more things. I think as you've seen, you could actually easily, if you're in the right situation, pick up your life and move to a lower cost country or a lower cost area and live for a fifth or a tenth of what you can in say the US or other places in North America and live a totally fine, comfortable life. Maybe you would give up some earning potential or not be able to see as many friends and family but you could live much more cheaply. And so your post-economic number might look a lot lower. And I don't know if we want to dive into this, but there's a, a little community of people called the FIRE community, which is financial independence, retire early. It's people who do these types of things that we're talking about. They choose a number, they save as much as they can through cost savings or making more money, and they want to retire early so that they don't have to worry about money in their lives. I haven't gone so far as to do the fire type of stuff. I think some of it's extreme for what I want out of my relationship with money, but it's certainly a way of being that resonates with lots of people and just don't be resigned to whatever's around you, which is what you're most likely to be influenced by. 
Yeah, I hope my comments on homeless people wasn't insensitive. What I meant more so in homelessness was just an example. And you're definitely right to say homelessness is way more complex than I probably communicated. But even you could use examples of people in other countries who are perhaps just as happy or happier than people who have a lot of wealth. And really, again, it's this idea where perhaps they're just not tied to the amount of wealth that they need. And speaking of financial independence, there's a couple different forms of the FIRE movement. So there's the fire movement overall, and there's lean fire and there's fat fire. One of the interesting things I find about lean fire, have you looked into it very much? No, not at all. So lean fire, what I find a little counterintuitive is they're basically trying to reduce their burn so much that they can retire early. It's not so much that I dislike it, but it almost focuses so much on money in the way that like, let me adjust my entire life such that I can retire early. It almost seems like you're sacrificing so much in order to have this freedom. It almost seems like you're giving away freedom to get freedom. Maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but that's something that I've noticed. No, I think that's right. It's just a choice that some people make because we talked about this concept once, which is temporal discounting. We're more likely to value what our present self wants versus our future self. And this leads to all kinds of suboptimal outcomes. So I think this lean fire actually values your future self at the expense sometimes of your present self. That's where I don't actually resonate with that because I want to mostly be able to do what I want in the present and I'm happy to give some things up, but I also think I could die tomorrow. And so I don't want to optimize my life towards some retirement number down the road. That said, I'm now in Miami with a few good friends who I don't see very often. So one of the things I prioritize in my life are my relationships. So I'd love to dive into the key takeaways and see if we can wrap up this pod. Yeah, I think it was just an interesting discussion about this idea of what does post-economic even mean? What does it mean to be financially free? I want to share quickly as we we do these takeaways, there's this infographic that I saw recently that was the seven stages of financial dependence. I'll very quickly read them out. Zero is financial dependency. Then it goes to financial solvency, financial stability, debt freedom. That means when all of your debt has been paid off. Then there's financial security, which means that you can cover your basic survival expenses. Then financial independence, which means your cash flow covers your current lifestyle. That is a point that I think we all want to achieve, especially people who are targeting fire. But then there's two more steps, which I think just pose the question of, should you even try to achieve these steps? There's nothing wrong with it, but step number five actually seems like a pretty good place to be, and you may not need to go past it. But step six and seven are financial freedom and financial abundance. So the main thing that I'd love for anyone listening to take away is just to think about what do you need? What is your number? Why is that your number? And just question whether you even need to chase that seventh step of financial abundance. I like that framework. It reminds me of something I'm reading a book right now called Factfulness, which is essentially about all the data that shows how the world is getting better in lots of different ways. He has an interesting framework that breaks down countries into level one through four income. And actually, most countries are moving towards level four income, which is, I forget what the number is, but something like everyone makes more than $32 per day, and that gives you a certain lifestyle. So I actually think that the concepts that we're breaking down today are very much a level four income country focus where we have our basic needs met. And now we're saying, what is the appropriate relationship with money? A lot of us actually have far more than we need and far more than other people. And I'd love to just dive into that too, because at the end of the day, there's lots of people who are living on much, much less. And once you have that frame of reference and really think about that, I think that can also inform your relationship with money and better level set your expectations so that you can choose which rung of the ladder that you just introduced you might want to be focusing on. All right. Are you going to go buy all your friends a round of tequila shots? 
I don't think they're getting tequila tonight. Maybe we're going to have to do tap water or something. But yeah, maybe tequila. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see where the night goes. But I do want to just finish with the idea that the most important thing you can do is to think about money as a tool to define your relationship with that tool and to figure out what you want out of it. And then to set up your life so that you're actually living by those values and not adopting the values of other people or society or advertising or anything else that we can all get sucked into like I have and you have before. Once you can do that, I think you can really take the reins on your life in a way that most people are not able to do when they don't think about this enough. And one positive of going through those steps is that one of the most important things going into any relationships is understanding your relationship with money and their relationship with money. Cause that's, what is it like the most common reason for divorce? Maybe this is something for another episode, but I was talking to someone about that today. And I think going through those steps is really essential for you to have a healthy relationship, not just with yourself, but as you know, a family or as a couple in your finances. Sounds like we have at least 10 more episodes as it relates to money, which makes sense. It's a big part <laughs> of our lives. Okay. Let's end it there. All right. Thanks for listening. Until next time.